Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I'm Jamie Floyd, host of All Things Considered at WNYC. You're listening to Politics Brief, a collection of our very best coverage of the 2018 midterm elections. We'll share the sharpest and most timely talk, analysis, and original reporting from shows like The Takeaway, The Brian Lehrer Show, On the Media, and Radio Lab Presents More Perfect. And from the WNYC Newsroom, which is watching key races in New York and New Jersey. Enjoy. It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning, everyone, and happy Halloween. Though maybe what we need this year is a holiday where we pretend to be less afraid, as people are already plenty afraid in real life, right? But in any case, it's six days before the midterm elections, and if the Democrats hope to take back the House or Senate, they have to hope that young voters and Latino voters turn out to the polls at a higher rate than in other midterm elections. Now, much has been written lately about how each of these two Democratic-leaning constituencies don't vote as much as some other groups. We will start the program today by having an advocate for Latino voting power and a scholar of youth voting compare notes on what's going on and what might or might not make, make things different this election day than in the past, and we will take your calls. With me are former New York City Council Speaker, Melissa Mark Viverito, now the Vice President for Strategic Engagement at the Latino Victory Fund and Power for Puerto Rico. The Latino Victory Fund describes itself as a political, uh, I'm sorry, a progressive political action committee working to grow Latino political power by increasing Latino representation at every level of government. Uh, actually, Melissa Mark Viverito will join us in a couple of minutes. With us also, and first, John Della Volpe, Director of Polling at the Harvard Kennedy School in, uh, Institute of Politics. So, Professor Della Volpe, starting with you, welcome to WNYC. Thanks so much, Brian. It's great to be here. So, your latest poll shows Americans under 30 might vote at a higher rate than any other midterm election in more than 30 years. Give us some history of what the rates have been and what your new findings indicate might be next week. Terrific. Thank you. So I, I think there's a lot of good news and bad news in our re- release of this poll, the 36th the, the 36, the poll that we've released since, uh, since 2000. And the good news is, as you said, after a period of about 32 years, we saw between 16 and 21 percent of young voters participating in midterm elections. So pausing there for a second, this is not a millennial or a Gen Z problem in terms of young people not interested in voting in midterm elections. This this problem, this challenge dates back to my generation, which is Gen X, and to generation before that, which is baby boomers. Um, 16 to 21% showed up. And only two occasions um, did, 20, did more than 20% show up, and that was in 1986 and 1994. Um, but indications are from this survey that young people will show up at significantly higher rates than than they have, and um, and forty percent tell us that they're likely to show up. But um, when we discount that, we think that forty percent won't show up. But we do think it will be somewhere, um, it, perhaps in the mid to high twenties or even thirty percent. The bad news, however, though, is that. The motivations, the reason that they're likely to vote are that they're tied to the trauma uh, that they've endured for many years from the 
aftermath of the Great Recession to the gridlock in Washington, D.C., to regular school shootings and gun violence. And I think when we look back, even at the, at the tragic news the last several days and last week, that um, the youth vote will only enhance, this will only enhance and not damping their spirits. Before we turn to Speaker Mark Viverito, who's with us now and ready to go, I, I tend to think we generalize too much about generations of people because by race and gender and other demographics, their experiences can be so different within generations. So, for example, do you see in your latest Harvard poll gender differences? Like, is this the year of the young woman voter or the young suburban woman voter turning out more than the under 30 American man compared to the past? We see that we see we don't see the as significant gender gaps with young voters that we've seen in the past with with older uh, demographic groups. However, one of the demographic groups that is driving participation, speci- specifically participation from the progressive left, is white college educated females. They are uh, twenty five points more likely to participate in this cycle than they were four years ago. And the margin that they prefer Democrats to Republicans is three times what it was four years ago. So yes, in this particular case, it's not just women, but it's white women on college campuses with or who recently graduated that is driving a lot of the excitement. And to the degree that there's a significant difference of turnout between this election and the last two midterm elections, it'll be driven by that demographic group. Good news for Democrats if that holds in the right places. One more like that. We think of young people as more liberal than older people in general, but are white males under 30 becoming Republicans like older white males have? We, we see white males specifically with and without a college uh, degree um, having significant differences. So I do think that the that, that the same trends we see when we think about the overall electorate in terms of the, the Republican base being more likely white than non-white, more likely to be uh, have have less of an uh, less of a uh, education background than others, we see that same effect in, within this 18 to 29 year old cohort as well. Overall, uh, President Trump, for example, has a 20 26 percent job approval rating, but it's significantly higher among the white non-college group. John Della Volpe, developer, uh, director of polling at the Harvard Kennedy School Institute of Politics, looking at voters under 30 this year with us. And also joining us now is former New York City Council Speaker Melissa Mark Viverito, now the vice president for strategic engagement at the Latino Victory Fund and Power for Puerto Rico. And again, the Latino Victory Fund describes itself as a progressive political action committee working to grow Latino political power by increasing Latino representation at every level of government. Madam Speaker, welcome back to the show. Oh, good morning, Brian. Thank you for inviting me. So the articles that have been coming out this month on Latino voters from the big progressive-leaning news organizations, let's call them, have all these worrisome headlines. Slate, the Democrats have a Latino problem. Hispanic voters were supposed to be the party's future. It's not working out that way. New York Magazine, Democrats have a Latino voting problem. It's not new, but it's urgent. The Guardian, Democrats hope Latino voters will help them. Don't count on it. And the New York Times, as Democrats court Latinos, indifference is a powerful foe. And those are all from this month. How do you agree with the general? How much do you agree with the general thrust? 
I don't agree. And I think that, uh, to me personally, it almost feels like our community is being set up, right, to be uh, the scapegoat if things don't go the way that we expect them to go. The reality is that in order to get voters interested uh, in voting for your party, you have to have an investment that is made in the community. You have to build a relationship with the community over time. And the mainstream democratic institutions have not done that in a consistent fashion. The one uh, outlier here is the DCCC, right, the Democratic Congressional Committee, which actually has been doing a good job of investing millions of dollars over time in communities uh, or in districts where there's large Latino percentages. And that uh, ends up paying dividends at the end of the day. What we are seeing, though, is historic numbers of Latinos registering and participating in the early vote process. And the thrust of that, as your earlier guest was saying, is that younger vote. So, for instance, Pew came out with a report recently that says that about 43.5% of all Hispanic eligible voters in 2018, that's 43.5%, are 18 to 35 years of age. Mm. That's an incredible number. And when we're looking now at the early voting process that's happening, um, the total vote in the 2016 cycle was 83 million votes. That's in the whole of the 2016 cycle. Mm -hmm. Right now, just to date, in this year, through the early vote process, and we have not gone through the general election, it's about 22 million votes. And so we're seeing an incredible, and we're seeing that all over. I mean, here in the state of New York, which we all take for granted, we saw the doubling, right, of turnout in this midterm cycle than we did two years ago. So, you know, we're just seeing that the thrust and the surge really is among young voters, but Hispanics in general are voting in record numbers, and I think that trend is going to continue. Well, obviously, we have to see at the end of the day uh, is what parties they support. But I feel strongly, based on the work that we're doing and others are doing, that we are going to see that um, it's going to be the, the Latino vote is going to be very instrumental uh, for the Democratic Party. So listeners help us report this story. Listeners who are under 30 and listeners who are Latino will invite you specifically in on the phones for this conversation about voting among your groups. 212-433-WNYC-433-9692. Latino voters, you heard those headlines, all this writing about fear and apathy and cynicism, even with a nativist president. Do you feel it yourself? Do you see it in people around you and get frustrated by it? Latino listeners, help us report this story. 212-433-WNYC-433-9692. And anyone of any background under 30, call us if this is your first vote of your lifetime. Maybe you're 27 and you never bothered to vote before and you're going in this time. Uh, does, that, does that sound like you? Call us or call us if you haven't voted in a midterm election before. Call us if Trump is motivating you one way or another or whatever. 212-433-WNYC. For listeners who are under 30 and listeners who are Latino, help us report this story about motivators to vote or not to vote in this midterm election year, 212-433-9692. Speaker, let me stay with you and read you a few lines from that New York Times article last week on indifference. Um, It says, children ripped from their parents' arms and held in sweltering 
tent cities, an onslaught of ads and speeches delivering insults and racist remarks, but interviews with dozens of Hispanic voters in Nevada and California, two key battleground states, showed a more complicated picture that is deeply alarming to Democratic Party officials. Away from campaign rallies and candidates, many voters said they felt disempowered rather than emboldened. They expressed feelings of cynicism, apathy, and fear fueled by the highly fraught political moment. Others said that messaging about immigration policy alone is not enough to motivate them. And some have simply lost faith that politicians will follow through on their promises once the elections are over. So that from the New York Times last week. And I guess my question is, what would you say about the mix of fear, cynicism, and apathy if you think those are the right words? I mean, I mean well, that's the intent all along, isn't it? Right? In implementing these policies, it is to intimidate. It is to instill fear to the hope of those that uh, are the nativists uh, to have us be lulled into an action. And that is, so our work, right, not only as those of us that are uh, working on behalf of the Democratic fleet, like I am, like Latino Victory is, the Democratic Party, et cetera, you know, we have to, what are we doing to ensure that we are instilling faith and hope in a community, right, that is growing in this country and that has a place in this country? So, yes, I mean, clearly our communities are feeling under threat. Now, our responsibility is not to just throw up our hands. It's to figure out how do we then turn it around and inspire people. What we're seeing and what our history has been as Latino Victory is that when Latinos are on the ballot, that is what inspires our communities to come out. We see ourselves reflected in the candidates who have hopeful messages, who want to talk about building a better society, uh, and that want to hold government accountable. And so this year, we ran a campaign of, of the Year of the Latina. The majority of, Lati- of the candidates that we've endorsed, and we've endorsed over 40 in this cycle, the majority are women. And so we're seeing historic numbers of Latinas running. We are seeing a historic number of Latinos running countrywide. This is what is also propelling the surge in the Hispanic vote and the interest in people to register. So I understand there's this negative uh, narrative that is being put out there. I believe that what we're seeing on the ground defies that narrative. And what we want to do is ensure that we're not allowing that negativity, which I believe at times has an agenda, to dominate. And so we're doing the work on the ground. We're helping these candidates through not only through the support of an endorsement, but helping raise money for them, helping make sure that they're getting their message out in a productive way. And again, the numbers are historic. So I just want to read off another statistic, right? Mm-hmm. So the youth vote in this early voting process, the youth vote has been doubling in many of the early vote states. We saw 364% in Nevada. in Pennsylvania, and the Hispanic surge is the highest in that early vote, in that youth vote, in that um, early vote phase. The Hispanic demographic is the largest surge among all. Mm -hmm. So, again, I understand Mm -hmm. there is this narrative, and we are pushing back against it. Uh, We believe that we, the work on the ground, is demonstrating otherwise. And Professor Della Volpe, did you in your Harvard Kennedy School survey of under-30s Breakout Latino, Latina under 30s in your survey to have a take on relative likely turnout or any plus or minus motivating factors? Uh, yes, yes, we did. And it's and we're excited that what we're seeing from the survey responses is actually being played out in the ground, as a speaker mentioned. To give you some perspective, uh, back in 2014, only 
only 18% of young Hispanic and Latino um, individuals said that they would definitely vote. And I think it's probably more likely that at the end of the day, probably close to 10% um, voted um, because voter um, uh, overall participation was only at 16% among this overall demographic in 2014. But today in our survey, that um, number who said they were likely to vote essentially doubled, um, was up 16 points to 34%. So they indicate that they're likely to vote. Um, they've been registering, I think, at record numbers. And as the speaker mentioned, in places from Nevada to Florida to Texas, they are turning out, at least in the early phases, um, at rates that no one, I don't think, even expected, up three, four, five hundred um, percent mm-hmm. across um, across some of those key states. So they still lag the overall participation that we expect from, from whites and African-Americans. But I think the key to this, as the speaker mentioned, is it takes time to kind of build a relationship and build trust between institutions, parties, and individuals to really ensure that young people will participate. And that's something I think that holds true, not just for young Latina, Latino um, individuals, but young people uh, more generally. Very fascinating. And could be a little bit of evidence that the angle in the Slate, New York Magazine, New York Times, and The Guardian, all four of those articles, might turn out to be wrong next Tuesday. Let's go to the phones with John Della Volpe from the Harvard Kennedy School Institute of Politics and Melissa Mark Viverito from the Latino Victory Fund. Rebecca in Bergen County, you're on WNYC. Rebecca, thanks so much for calling in. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And I just want to say thank you to your guests and thank you to you for doing this reporting. Um, I am 22. I am a first-generation Cuban, Ecuadorian-American, and I'm a college student. Um, and I started voting in 2016 and uh, got involved because I Googled talk radio in New York City so that I could know what I was doing and, and, and what was going on, and I haven't stopped listening. So now I'm, I voted in the primary. I voted, um, you know, for the governor, and I'm voting in the midterms. And, uh, you know, I hope that all of the rhetoric that comes out of our president backfires and... Uh, that the numbers that we're looking at for registration and participation actually, you know, make a change because I go to Rutgers Newark where 55% of the students are Latino and I went to Passaic County Community College where 60% of the students are female and Latino. So I, you know, I come from a place where it doesn't look the same um, as most other places um, and I have a unique sense of the empowerment that's coming from the voting block. And, you know, we know that the participation matters now, you know. Rebecca, I'm curious, if you can compare, um, what was the feeling among yourself and your peers at Passaic Community College two years ago when you were 20 and leading up to the 2016 election compared to now and the midterms? Uh, Well, I would say... In 2016, there was a lot of anger and a lot of fear and a lot of people talking about what was going on. And, like, um, I would say not everybody was prepared for it. And now the conversation is more about participation rather than just anger and fear. Um, You know, and and being that it was in Patterson, New Jersey, where a lot of people are undocumented and, and a lot of people are, you know, in fear of not being able to finish their education in New Jersey, um... 
so it went from anger then to people who can participate. You know, now I'm at Rutgers, so it's a little bit different where there are, like, student groups who, like, advocate for participation and, like, registration days and, like, things where they're actually encouraging participation, not just conversation. Mm -hmm. Rebecca, thank you so much. Please call us again. You're listening to the Politics Brief Podcast. We'll be back after a quick... The archives at Carnegie Hall hold treasures from our cultural history. In the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk, we use these items as touchstones to explore how the past shaped the world we live in today. I'm your host, Jessica Vosk, and I'll be joined by historians, performers, cultural critics, and others to look back at the iconic venue's legendary and sometimes quirky history. If This Hall Could Talk, from Carnegie Hall and distributed by WQXR. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Break. Ruben in the Bronx, you're on WNYC. Hi, Ruben. Hey, how's it going, Brian? Thank you for having me on. Thank you. So I've been voting since 2016 when I was 18. Now I'm 20. And I, I see, like, everybody talking about the sentiment of, like, more Hispanics are voting. But, like, over here in the city, I never really noticed that. Like, especially, like, with the lax election I worked on, we only had, like, 7% of voter participation in Kingsbridge. And I noticed, like, a lot of Hispanic voters are, like, really skeptical about just, like, everybody that's running for office in general. Like, even my whole family doesn't even know who Ocasión is. And she was, like, really one of the big Hispanic frontrunners that was really running for office. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of ironic, too, but I feel like people were more engaged, like, in 2016 during, like, Bernie's run. Like, out of all my Hispanic friends, I'm the only one who votes, but during 2016, everybody was more engaged to run, and I was kind of confused because of that. Like, I guess because people are kind of tired of, like, establishment politics within the Hispanic community, and, like, we feel like everything is just going to be the status quo that's happened over and over again. So I understand a previous point was made that it takes time, like, to build trust towards these establishments and stuff like that, but I feel like there has to be a change in message because they've been trying to reach out for the Hispanic community for over two decades now, and I don't feel like the boost is happening anytime soon, to be honest. Ruben, thank you so much for your call, even though uh, it's a pessimistic one. Please call us again. Mark in Morristown, you're on WNYC. Hi, Mark. Hey, Brian. I'm a huge fan of you. <clears throat> Listening to you for a while. Thank I'm you. also a uh, huge Trump supporter, which sounds like a weird dichotomy, but I listen to you every day. I'm just letting you know, I grew up in a poor neighborhood. All my friends are Honduran, Uruguayan, uh, Chilean, and... They're, just like the previous caller said, they really feel like the Democratic Party in general doesn't really get what they want. And with the whole Bernie thing, I just all I hear is pessimism. And I'm the only person I know that's actually enthusiastic to vote. And, you know, as a former uh, progressive Kucinich Bernie supporter, I'm voting pretty much straight Republican. Mark, thank you very much. So, Professor Delavolpe, I wonder how much your polling of under 30s bears any of that out. Uh, he said a few things. One is that some Democrats who were turned off by, you know, the corporatocracy, who might have been Bernie supporters in the primaries in 2016 and didn't vote in the general election in, in 2016, um, are still disillusioned by corporate dominance of the Democratic Party and still would be apathetic. How much, how much does your polling bear that out? We we clearly saw that as uh, as you noted in the 2016 campaign, and it's 
difficult to answer that question fully until I think we start to engage in the 2020 campaign. Having said that, there are a couple of things I do kind of want to kind of respond to. Overall, we think of just about the kind of Hispanic vote, whereas about 66 percent of, uh, of likely young voters prefer Democratic control of Congress. Among Hispanic Latino voters, that's closer to 75 percent. And I think the first caller really, uh, to me, summarized the year's worth of research that we've been conducting, both town halls, focus groups, and a couple of surveys, where she talked about this kind of fear and anger that was building up in rather than just kind of talking about it, it seems to be really channeled, this energy is channeled to something very, very productive. Um, This is something that we've seen evolve over the course of the last year. And unlike any time, Brian, since before and after September 11th, we see a significant change in the attitudes of young people about the efficacy of engaging in politics. Before and after September 11th, we saw a 15-point shift in terms of um, politics making a tangible difference in the lives of young people for obvious reasons. Um, that difference kind of waned, which is one of the reasons that we saw some some apathy related to voting. Not about service and volunteerism in the community, but voting. And that happened, we saw a similar change pre and post the 16 campaign. Because as, as, as the other callers have mentioned, um, there was wasn't a lot of reasons, even among the, for the Democratic Party, to um, to feel to feel good about the system or trust. I don't think a lot of young people outside of the Sanders voters felt like they were that the party really cared about them as individuals, and um, I think that's part of the reason that so many of them kind of skipped the 2016 campaign. I don't think that's yeah, the case I think- here. I don't feel like this is a presidential camp. This this. The, the feelings I'm, 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 uh, I, I feel from this survey and from other conversations, we're not quite at a presidential election level, but uh, it's much closer to that level mm-hmm. of uh, enthusiasm than, than well, a Melissa, Mark Viverito, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, you know, and we hear this all the time, but it is true. Like, I, I'm a Democratic Latina voter, okay, but I do have uh, criticism of the Democratic Party and the fact that I think they've taken my community too much for granted. Additionally, we're not monolithic, right? We're not only concerned about one issue. Yes, the separation of families is abhorrent, and I'm appalled. As a Puerto Rican, I am disgusted by the way this administration has turned its back on Puerto Rico. But we also care about the economy. We also care about the future of the community we live in or the city or the state that we live in. We want to hear how candidates are going to address the issues of economy, of jobs, of education. So, you know, you have... Uh, This is what people want to hear, and that that is what you've been seeing in terms of with some of the candidates that that people are just gravitating towards, right, that are really focused on that message of positivity. Uh, We have to reclaim our democracy without a doubt, uh, but also we have to also think about what are the immediate needs of those constituents that we're looking to represent. So when you look at a Stacey Abrams, when you look at an Andrew Gillum, when you look at a Beto O'Rourke, or when you look at uh, David Garcia, who's running for governor in Arizona, or Gil Cisneros, who's running in a, what was heavily and uh, traditionally a Republican congressional seat in California, or, or Veronica Escobar, who's going to be the first Latina uh, in Congress from Texas. I mean, you, you, are, you have a, a, a cadre of leadership that is inspirational because they're talking about the issues that matter to people and not just looking at our communities in a monolithic way. And when we're talking about Latinos, and I think that that's what that last caller was alluding to who said he was supportive of Kucinich and, 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 and he's been Kucinich and, and was it Bernie and now he's Trump and, yeah. and you know um, so it, it, we have to really be mindful that it, politics is nuanced 
And we have to make sure that we're dealing with it in that way and not just in blanket terms or blanket issues or thinking that we're all concerned about the same things. You know, it's, it's a complicated matter, and, and that mm-hmm. has to be approached in that way. Let's hear from some more callers. Cassandra in New Brunswick. You're on WNYC. Hi, Cassandra. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Thanks for opening up this conversation. Um, I just really want to reiterate that point that was just made about the Latino voter bloc not being monolithic. Um, I am first-generation Puerto Rican, and I am as left-leaning and hopeful as they come. Um, But I I really want to stress that aside from apathy or trauma that may be driving, you know, voter decisions or making them to the polls, um, there are a lot of motivations and personal narratives that may be uh, at play. So, for example, I have family who are Puerto Rican in Florida and who are Central American in California, and they are extremely avid Trump supporters. These are educated, kind people that I dearly love. But there is this sentiment almost, well, we made it here through legal channels. We went through X, Y, and Z. I feel extremely fortunate um, to be Puerto Rican and proud uh, citizen. Um, But I I feel very conflicted in this conversation because it is a lot more complicated Mm -hmm. as your guests are getting into. So I just I just wanted to offer that personal Mm -hmm. um, comment. And Cassandra, 41 percent of Latinos across the U.S. in an NPR poll this month gave Trump a positive job approval rating. Another recent poll was a little less, 35 percent. But still, anywhere in that range would be shocking to a lot of people Mm -hmm. among Latinos. But you're giving me stories of two people close to you uh, who feel Mm -hmm. that way. What, What else would you say about why they support Trump? That he is making evident um, things that have been so institutionalized for so many years that his boldness is just making transparent some of the uh, the underlying things that have been ongoing. And so they appreciate his candor. Um, they appreciate his bravado. Um, some may be just because they're being more subversive. They just don't they want to go against uh, the status quo, and so they, they support him in that regard. Um, but it is, I, I, again, I feel very conflicted because it's like, well, we're here, and now let's slam the door behind us. And, and I, I really grapple with that. Cassandra, thank you so much for your call. And Miriam in Princeton, you're on WNYC. Hi, Miriam. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Um, so I'm uh, 21 years old. I'm in college, um, and I'm biracial. I'm white and Asian. Um, and what you guys were talking about earlier with um, white women under the age of 30 um, voting more this election, I definitely saw that in my peer group and on my college campus. Um, there, there's a lot of social pressure to vote on my like small liberal college campus. Mm-hmm. Um, even social media pressure. People are posting on their Instagram stories, um, posting on their Snapchat stories. When it came for time, when it came time for people to put in their absentee ballots, there was a ton of social media among people of my age group encouraging each other to vote. Um, I think that the Me Too movement really energized with me and my friends to feel more connected to politics as we see women running for office more. Um, as a New Jersey resident, I think a lot of my fellow like New Jerseyans are 
sort of, it's a reluctant vote for Bob Menendez, um, which is unfortunate because I wish we could have a candidate that we're excited about mm-hmm. for that seat. But that being said, I think more generally, um, my peer group and the people that I'm surrounded by are really excited to vote, and a lot of them are voting for the first time. Miriam, thank you so much for your call. So we're just about out of time. Uh, John Delavolpe, to end on kind of a lighter note, an article about your Harvard poll in The Atlantic also included results from something very different, um, the dating site OkCupid. Measuring their users' activity, OkCupid found that among their 300,000 millennials, there's been a 64% increase in political terms on users' dating profiles. 85% of millennial users said voting was very important to them. 75% of women on the site in the age group said they would only date people who support the Me Too movement. How would you as a database social scientist interpret those numbers from a dating site? Obviously not a random sample, but at 300,000, a big sample of something. Yes, and and it's certainly a change. And what I look at is I look at almost like a I think about it like a blender of data. We have our polling. I look at other polling. I look at regist- voter registration. I look at early turnout, and even signals from from social media, including including OkCupid. All of the data that we've seen shows far more enthusiasm in this cycle than in the last previous cycles. And I think compared to all the other midterm cycles um, over the last 32 years, something is something is happening. People feel empowered. And it's now incumbent upon the, the parties and all the other groups to ensure that this empowerment leads to engagement and mobilization and voting in, um, in just a few days. John Delavolpe, Director of Polling at the Harvard Kennedy School Institute of Politics and former New York City Council Speaker Melissa Mark Viverito, now the Vice President for Strategic Engagement at the Latino Victory Fund and Power for Puerto Rico. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank, thank you. you so much, Brian. And thanks to all our callers in this segment, and much more to come on The Brian Lair Show right after this. Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, go to wnyc.org election.